This episode of the Purpose and Profit podcast was recorded in 2021. To build an iconic brand or an organization that will stand the test of time, you have to build a deep relationship with the consumer or with the donor that goes beyond the transaction, that they are buying into that societal purpose, the why of why your organization exists, and they're partnering with you and they're believing in that mission together with you. the Purpose and Profit Podcast, a show dedicated to uncovering the surprising ideas at the intersection of causes and brands. What are the trends that are impacting nonprofit and business leaders alike? And what can we learn to apply and grow impact? Hi, I'm Dave Rayleigh. And I'm Carly Berna. And this is the Purpose and Profit Podcast. Hi, everyone. Today on the show, we're going to be talking about the lessons we can learn from the world of big brands like Oreo, JCPenney, and big idea nonprofits like International Justice Mission. Our guest today is Sheba Phillip. Sheba serves as CEO for Akola, a globally inspired luxury jewelry brand and social enterprise. In 2018, the National Retail Federation named Akola as one of the top 25 brands alongside Warby Parker and Allbirds that are shaping the future of U.S. retail. Akola is a fascinating case study for us to look at because they were started originally as a nonprofit until a few years ago when they reorganized into a public benefit corporation. We'll hear the story of Akola today from Sheba. Prior to her time at Acola, Sheba built a nearly 20-year career creating and growing purpose-driven brands in the consumer packaged goods, retail, and nonprofit sectors. She spent 10 years in executive roles leading multi-million dollar iconic businesses. Most notably, she served as the global director for the world's number one cookie, Oreo. Sheba was a member of the turnaround team to help revitalize one of America's most well-known retailers, JCPenney, and she's also served as the Vice President of Global Marketing Strategy and Communications for International Justice Mission, the largest anti-slavery organization in the world. Sheba regularly speaks on topics such as the integration of faith and work, Christ-centered leadership, and being a Christian woman in business. She holds a BS in chemical engineering from the University of Virginia and an MBA from Harvard Business School. I think you're going to love the conversation with Sheba Phillip today. Let's go to that interview. Hey, Sheba. Thanks for joining us today. We're super excited to have you. Thanks for having me. You know, one of the things that I thought was most interesting about the most recent part of your journey is the story that you joined a nonprofit that has launched a for-profit. And when we think about the Purpose and Profit podcast and the conversation around causes and brands, really, a cola is both. And so could you just tell us a little bit about that and how that came to be? Sure. You know, it's it's interesting. I, I do think that... Uh, there's sometimes a very hard line between nonprofit and for-profit. And one would assume sometimes the nonprofit is about purpose and the for-profit is less about purpose. But what I have found through Acola is that purpose can coexist across both a nonprofit and a for-profit. And it's really around what is the right model to unlock purpose in the brands that you're working on or, or in the organization that you're leading. So in the case of Acola, 
the purpose of a cola has not changed. A cola's purpose is to create meaningful and dignified employment for the most marginalized of women. A cola was started as a nonprofit um, over 12 years ago. It was founded by Brittany Underwood. She had gone to Uganda. Uh, with the purpose of empowering women and serving women on a missions trip. What she found was the only way to really break the cycle of poverty and to provide sustainable economic empowerment was through meaningful job creation. Jobs that are steady, jobs that give good wages, jobs that provide a healthy uh, and emotionally rich environment for the women that we're serving. So she started having them make jewelry uh, under a tree and she sold that jewelry in Dallas uh, just to raise money to care for these women. Then about four years ago, Neiman Marcus comes to Brittany and says she wants they want to carry a cola in their stores. And this was really unheard of at the time to have a brand coming out of Africa built by the hands of the poor that would be in, in a luxury retail space. And that paved the way for Nordstrom approaching a cola as well as Saks. And at that moment, this was about March 2019, is was a time where, you know, I think Brittany and the board of the nonprofit realized that it was time to restructure the company into a for-profit so that we had the working capital and the resourcing to continue growing and scaling and employing uh, our women in Uganda. So, you know, for me, I think this restructuring of the company was really about how do we ensure that this mission of employing women in Eastern Africa, in Uganda, giving them meaningful uh, wage uh, empowerment and meaningful sustainable poverty alleviation, how do we do that in, in, in a the most impactful way. And for us, the decision was to move to a for-profit. So we had the operational backbone to do it. And that kind of goes back to your original question of, you know, this nonprofit and for-profit tension, I really believe should not exist. And I, and I think really it's around purpose and you can deliver purpose through a nonprofit or a for-profit context. So I totally agree with you about there's this hard line between for-profit and nonprofit that people um, usually differentiate. And since you've worked on both sides, you you know you just said now that it's really about the model and the messaging. What advice would you give to anyone that's in for-profit or nonprofit? How to communicate, uh, you know, what they're doing and what that purpose is to their customer. Mm-hmm. I think at the core of purpose is the question why. Why do you exist? Why does the organization exist? And if the organization would, were to go away tomorrow, what is not created in the world? And for us, for a cola, the why, the purpose, it isn't to make jewelry, although we make beautiful jewelry handcrafted by women in Uganda. The, the why is that we want women you know, to realize their full potential. And if we can get to the core why, why does, why does the organization exist to do its work? That is, the, I think, the launching pad of incredible communication with donors or with customers. 
because it is around it is about yes if you're a nonprofit potentially like yes you're helping feed a child you're helping you know secure clean water but why why is that so important what's the higher order societal purpose that you're trying to achieve i think to me carly that is the most important thing it is answering the why and then the messaging becomes really around articulating that why in a very, or that answer to the why in a very clear way that consumers and customers can understand. Yeah, in some ways it feels like there's really been a convergence in the past, I don't know how many years, but of um, for-profit brands realizing that purpose is a core part of their identity is important, not just for shareholder value, but for doing good in the world. And in some ways, causes may always have ostensibly been about purpose, but I think that's just been more and more sharpened in the minds of, of cause leaders today. So Sheba, you know, you spent some time at a number of brands, including JCPenney. Uh, so what were just some of your biggest takeaways and challenges um, thinking about your time there? Mm-hmm. I think I'll go back to the question Carly was asking is, the why, you know, first, I think in any brand, whether you're working like I did on Oreo or you're working at IGM or JCPenney, you need to understand why does the organization exist? And I think that for me, JCPenney and working at JCPenney, that why was the question that I think we had to really get to, to get to great marketing and great communication with our customers. And I, I believe we could have done more in that area, or I could have done more when I was leading the organization around brand marketing. The why is so important. And for JCPenney, it wasn't about getting deals and it wasn't about giving coupons. It was about providing, you know, democratizing retail for the middle class and, and giving people an opportunity to buy quality product at good prices that enhance their lives. And that why was so important and so meaningful and needed to be the emphasis of all of our marketing. The second thing I think I learned a lot during my time at JCPenney was around customer experience. And you can replace customer with donor, it doesn't matter. It really is around not making something not about a transaction, but making it about a relationship. And with JCPenney, you know, it's very easy to just be like 25% off and run coupons and just get people to buy an item. But it was really around, you know, this organization, this brand has been around for a hundred years, over a hundred years. Many of us grew up with the JCPenney catalog. And I think it really for me, it was a wake-up call to say, for to build an iconic brand or an organization that will stand the test of time, you have to build a deep relationship with the consumer or with the donor that goes beyond the transaction, that they are buying into that societal purpose, the why of why your organization exists, and they're partnering with you, and they're believing in that mission together with you. And there's so much more that has to be done to build that relationship that is not about a sale. It's not about driving another item or trying to get that next donation. So again, to me, it was the why, getting at the why, like I said before, and it was the customer experience uh, and making sure that's really, really rich and meaningful. 
Yeah, I love that idea of customer or donor experience. I think as marketers and fundraisers, that's something we can forget. And a good takeaway for those listening is to audit your customer journey. Pretend that you're a totally new person and go through the experience of making a purchase or a donation and um, you know, see what touch points you get. Do you feel like you're being drawn into the brand and building this deep relationship or not? Um, I also love what you said about the why. I'm thinking about one of the other brands that you mentioned that you worked at, which is Oreo. I don't know what their why is, but to me, it's so I can watch Netflix and eat cookies. Um, <laughs> but from your time at Oreo, what did you learn about the importance of brand? So, you know, that, that word brand is, uh, it's such a, com- it can be really defined in a very commercial way. Like, oh, it's a trademark, it's a product, it's something you sell. A brand is truly what I believe is an emotional connection you have with a consumer. And it's it's a, the vehicle in which a consumer, or a per- and I would say even, just look, make it more, more intimate, a person, a human, uh, is... Uh, realizing more hope or more, more joy in the, their world. And I think that for Oreo, it was absolutely the twist, lick and dunk of a, of a cookie and milk uh, and watching it. Netflix is a great idea and, and everyone loves it. But the joy, it's the joy of that you're eliciting in the heart of that person when they're eating that Oreo. It's the joy uh, and the human connection that a mom has with her child over a glass of milk and an Oreo. It was, for us, the why was unlocking that childlike delight that you have inside you when you are eating an Oreo or when you're connecting with somebody over an Oreo. And that was what we played into, the wonder and the childlike delight that you had when you were four years old eating an Oreo. And now when you're a mom giving it to your kid, that's how you feel when you open up that box. And there's a reason why you feel that way when you open up an Oreo box versus a private label box. And and why is that? It's because of this emotional experience, relationship, the feeling you get when you're with that brand. So to me, I don't know if that answers your question, but it's such a brand is such a kind of very nebulous term, but it, to me, it's an emotional territory. It's a place where you really unlock a, a feeling that is positive and wonderful inside you and in others, and it's through connection with a tangible product. And that, and a great brands know how to take a product and make and create that emotional connection. Yeah, actually, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that you know, of course, you're working at a cola now. And I just talked about how you worked at Oreo. Since working at Ecola, have you learned anything different about brands now having, you know, this really deep connection um, with the way that they're producing the products in Africa and how you can connect to the customer? Yeah, it's really, it, it's interesting. It's an interesting question. I'm, I'm probably going to pivot first by kind of helping guess the audience understand a little bit around my journey around brand. When I first started with 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 Oreo and with JC Penney, it was really around this idea of uh, the product, right? I mean, you really start with the product and emphasizing the product, delicious cookie, a, a shirt on deal or on sale. It's about the product. When I went to IJM, I really fell in love with this idea of storytelling and really developing that deeper story of the humanity behind a brand. And and in the case of IJM, it was all about 
you know, freeing people that were, you know, in bondage or or need of social justice, but also understanding what that did in the donor. When the donor was giving to IJM, what did that unlock in their heart? It was really around this deeper, beautiful purpose in the lives of the people that we were serving uh, in the world that were that needed justice, and the people that were giving giving to to uh, to IGM. In Ecola, it really is a, m- a melding of those two worlds. It is around product. It is around beautiful handcrafted jewelry that you want to wear, that you're willing to to pay a price for. It's jewelry that when you wear it, you love how it looks on you and it's fashionable. I mean, we ha- there is a product element to what we do at Ecola. You have to emphasize that. You have to focus on great quality and uh, good materials and, and, and the product experience has to be phenomenal. But we can't let go of the tie to the mission. And that is, what does that product do in the lives of the women making it and in the lives of people buying it. And so to me, when Ecola was a nonprofit, so much was so much emphasis was around the mission, the story of the women, and not enough was done, I think, in the area of product, really relentlessly focused on a beautiful, high quality product that stands the test of time that customers will want to wear, which is how a for-profit thinks, how, how you know commercial brands think. But now as a public benefit corporation, we have to do both. We have to spend all of our time thinking about product and beautiful product and product that people want to wear and connecting that so naturally and seamlessly with our mission. So this idea of product and story, product and mission is so intertwined uh, in a company like Ecola, which is a for-profit that it has a commercial business, but has the heart and and heart behind a, a core purpose. And that's what I've learned to kind of bring those two together through my experiences working purely in nonprofit, where story and mission is so important, and then working in for-profit, sorry, or, or commercial brands like JCPenney or an Oreo, which was really around the product. You make me think a little bit about, you know, the con- comment about brands and purpose being really intertwined. And then, you know, at Ecola and International Justice Mission. I wonder if you could talk to, um, and you may or may not have uh, much experience in this area, but at International Justice Mission, one of the things I really appreciated uh, from a donor and brand and purpose perspective is their Freedom Partners program. Mm-hmm. And as you were talking, you were, you made me think about Freedom Partners. I've been a three Freedom Partner for, I don't know, five or six years now, in part because my wife was at an event and and heard the story of International Justice Mission. Mm-hmm. And that story was so beautifully tied to the purpose of what are Freedom Partners, which for our listeners are monthly donors. And she immediately, uh, in in marketing words, embraced the brand and said, "Oh, my purpose to actually um, help address this issue is uh, can be fulfilled through becoming a freedom partner." So I just I you made me think of that. I thought I'd maybe bring it up and just see if you have any you know thoughts on that. Yeah, that's really well said, Dave. And I I think you nailed it on the head. When I was at IGM, we had done some brand research on why people give to IGM and, and why they continue to give. And it was really eye-opening. 
The first thing we learned was that it all starts with the story of one person. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing your wife heard a story of one child or one woman that was uh, freed or achieved freedom uh, and, and, and came out of oppression because of the work of IGM. And, it, you know, we had always thought about big facts and big figures and stats as a thing that people would gravitate towards. Thousands are being rescued, you know, you know, many systems of justice are being transformed. But what we re- what we heard from our donors was that they remembered that one child, that one face they saw Gary talk about or somebody else from IGM share about. And so what we realized is storytelling that, again, building that emotional connection uh, with the work of the organization through the story of one person or the story of the people we're serving was so powerful. The second thing I think you're pointing to and why the Freedom Partner Program has been so successful is because of going back to my conversation on donor experience, you know, it's so important that we see people not just giving a monthly donation, but they're part of the fight with us at IGM. And so at IGM, there was so much being invested around stories and making sure people knew what was happening in the field. When we rescued, uh, you know, children out of a bonded labor facility in India, we would tell everybody on social media. And, and you became, you felt you were really part of the actual fight. And so going back to that uh, study we did when we were talking to donors, what was so interesting was that one of the donors, I remember say, said to us, I feel like I'm in the trenches with you. Even though I'm in my home writing a check, I feel like I'm on the front lines fighting for these women, fighting for these children, fighting for these families. And so I think that goes back to incredible experience. How do we move from transaction to relationship? And how do you, you know, make more people like your wife realize that why engaging on in this work of even if it's just sending a monthly check, you are fulfilling your purpose on this earth. You're realizing your potential to create, you know, good and bringing God's kingdom to earth. And how, and we, and we help, we can do that as an organization by giving them ways to feel part of the work, feel part of the mission, feel part of the fight. And I, and I, and I don't, I obviously I've not talked to your wife, but I'm assuming, I, I believe that's probably a lot of why she's still giving is because she feels so part of the work and she sees her role in it. That is so powerful. And I don't think you can, we can underscore that enough. I think there's a, there's a lesson there in that, um, if you think about branding just as an abstract concept, I think so much, so many organizations, especially on, in the cause world that I work on, think that the brand is all about themselves, like what we do, you know, and so in the case of International Justice Mission, International Justice Mission rescues people from, from slavery, but the real power is to give purpose to the, in this case, the donor, or in the case of JCPenney or Oreo, I assume it's the customer, to put the customer or the donor at the center to make them the hero and it's my wife uh, and I in this case that are the heroes helping um, free people from slavery. Right. And there is something interesting that I have 
come across in my work with nonprofits and even with Ecola, that sometimes we make this narrative that it's about us rescuing somebody. Like we're going to help this woman uh, find a job by buying this jewelry and having her get have employment at Ecola. Or we're going to help, you know, this child get out of a brothel by giving this money. And so it becomes this hero, to your point, this kind of hero approach, which is true. But I, I do think what if you can figure this out as you run your organizations, I think this is unlocks powerful, powerful uh, engagement with donors is what are you doing in the heart of that donor or that customer? Everybody is in need. Everybody's broken. We all know that. And there's something that when your donors or your customers engage in your organizational work, there's something that is being healed in them. It's something that's being restored in them, unlocked in them. So for us at Ecola, we believe that when a woman takes the time to learn about the women in Ecola that are working so hard to feed their moms, to feed their children and educate them, when they're buying Ecola jewelry and wearing it, what we're doing in them is helping them realize that God has made them for a very unique purpose, that God sees them as beautiful inside and out, and that wearing this jewelry is a symbol of their their place in the world as a woman, their, um, gives them the confidence to unlock their potential and use their talents and gifts to sacrificially serve other people and, and do something that you know, is meaningful and creates positive change in the world. So we are doing a lot of work now to f figure out how more can we engage our customers and help them see and help them and, ce and celebrate with them what it's doing inside of them when they engage in a cola. So I think the same thing for nonprofits. We can think of it as the donor is the hero and, and helping this person. But I think, like, especially when I was working at IJM, when people like in the story of this donor I talked about, they are doing something, something is being restored in them. They are experiencing, you know, maybe they had issues with social ju justice or things that, that were broken in their lives that are being healed by engaging in this work. And so, you know, it's hard to understand all the nuances of that, but I do think it's important for us to really hammer home this idea that it is also about what the brand, what the organization can do in the hearts of those that are supporting it. Uh, and that is, and it's as important sometimes, we should think about that as as important as what we're, what we're doing out in the world, in the, in the programmatic side of things. That's encouraging to hear. And I think for anybody, uh, marketers, uh, fundraisers alike, uh, that should be that should almost give a sense of purpose that you're giving a sense of purpose to to people as they engage with your brand. Yes. So just uh, one more question, and then we're going to go to a little bit of a speed round. Uh, you know, if you could give one piece of advice to nonprofit cause leaders thinking about your your background, your journey today, what would that be? The, the sentence that comes to mind is keep it simple. Keep it simple. I think that sometimes, uh, especially in the nonprofit world, um, I've, I've experienced this, whether I've been consulting on organizations or working within them, 
there is a feeling that I have to communicate everything, tell everything, do everything. Because when nonprofits, you know, they're founded, they're founded on this idea of creating good. And I think what private sector organizations do very well is they keep it simple. They keep it focused on core strategies, core ideas. They spend a lot of time saying no to things as much as they say yes to things. I remember reading something around Steve Jobs and Apple and how he would say, you know, he was really relentless and ruthless around keeping the organization focused on a few things. And that's why you see what we have today in Apple with the technology and the experiences they have, because they were so laser focused on a a set of core objectives and everything else they said no to. And I think for nonprofits, my encouragement to leaders listening on this call is keep it simple. What should you be saying no to? What What is taking up too much time, diluting your brand communication? Because if you don't, if you stand for everything, you stand for nothing. And you really have got to focus on a core idea. Why do you exist? What is the core things you're going to do to deliver on that why and how do you communicate that in a very simple way so keeping it simple keeping it focused is what I would give us by advice I think that's great advice working at nonprofits I can attest that things can get very complex and then our messaging becomes very complex and sometimes we don't even understand it so how is the donor really going to understand it as well That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So let's move to a speed round. Um, Just five quick questions. Uh, The first one I'm really interested in the answer of looking at your uh, undergraduate degree in chemical engineering. But the question is, what did you want to be when you grew up as a child? Oh, my goodness. That's a hard. (laughs) It's a hard question. Uh, I I think you're going to laugh when I tell you this. But my honest, uh, my honest answer is that I wanted to be an airline stewardess on Air India. I grew up. uh, My parents are from India and I traveled uh, there and I used to see these beautiful women and their saris walking down the aisle in the airport. And I just thought I want to be like them traveling the world and being doing interesting things and so at a young age, I wanted to be an airline stewardess. Well, I, I assume you are traveling the world and doing interesting things. So you, you did do that. I did that in a different way, yeah. but yes. <laughs> okay. Second question. Um, what's the best podcast you're listening to right now? Ooh. Well, I will give you two answers to this. I mean, the one I'm listening to right now, frankly, is uh, a podcast by Tony Evans. He's a pastor uh, here in Dallas. I really respect him. And he does a lot on leadership as well as obviously spiritual growth. So that's the podcast I'm listening to regularly. Uh, Another one that I've listened to that I need to be doing more of is How We Built This, which is such a great podcast on the building of startups. But the one that I actually listened to just even last night was Tony Evans. How I Built This is my favorite podcast. I've listened to every episode. So I agree with that. Okay, what book are you reading right now? Well, this has not been a season of book reading. I will be 
confess, running an early stage startup during a pandemic, there is not a lot of time to read. Uh, the Bible is the number one thing I'm reading. Uh, that's the only thing that keeps gives me life right now uh, and joy. But the book that I carried on my vacation to Turks and Caicos and I have not finished yet is called Educated by uh, Tara, I think it's Westover. Uh, it's a memoir about a woman uh, who grew up in the Appalachia Mountains, uneducated, and ended up going to Harvard. So it's just a beautiful story of uh, overcoming obstacles despite many odds. And it's a book I have to finish. I've heard of that, but I haven't read that book. Um, all right. What show are you binging on, you know, whatever streaming channel that you watch? Oh, man, there's probably too many. Uh, the one that I just binge watched was Ted Lasso. <laughs> on Apple TV. <laughs> I really like it. And I, I'm not even a football watcher, but I really like the show. I thought, I think it's hilarious. And yeah, that, that was the show I just binge watched. All right. And at the time that we're recording this, obviously, we're still going through the pandemic. And one of the things that um, a lot of people did during lockdown was come up with some different hobbies or things that they took interest in. Was there anything that you did during your, the COVID pandemic and lockdown that was a new hobby? Carly, I gotta say these are the best rapid fire questions I've had in a while. You take you take the prize for sure. Um, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say organizing my house, my pantries, and my closet. So when I was home, uh, I'm gonna give a very unpaid endorsement to Container Store right now. I was I was uh, at home just looking around and being like, oh, everything's unorganized. My cereal boxes are all over the place. My shoes are everywhere. So I was like a VIP member of Container Store. I ordered a lot of uh, cartons and crates and basically reorganized my entire closet, reorganized my pantry, the cabinets that hold my wires and random things. So yes, that was my fixation was trying to be one of those kind of home organizer experts. And I was like on Amazon, on Container Store for a solid amount of time trying to figure it out. Yeah, I can relate to that. I, you know, you never would have had the time otherwise. So it was a great time to do it. Yes. Bonus question: What is your favorite variety of Oreos? Oh goodness! You know, I've 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 tasted a lot around the world. There's many more flavors of Oreo now. I've I've not been at the company for a few years, but honestly, it's the classic. Oreo, not even double stuff. Like I just like the classic black Amen. and white Oreo. I, I will tell you my second one is Oreo Thins because it's 100 calories. It's, you know, thin and it's, I feel, uh, in, as a woman in her 40s now, I kind of feel like I should be saying that probably more than the classic. But if I really had to pick, it'd be the, you know, tried and true. I don't want to offend anybody out there, but I feel like the double stuff, the ratio is all off. I, I don't get it. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> that yeah I can see your point <laughs> well thank you Sheba it's been so good to have you today uh, just appreciate you and just your investment um, and just really candidly the journey that you've been on um, and uh, just look forward to to what you have in store for you in the future well thank you so much it's been a pleasure and a joy and a great to have this time to talk to you 
Carly, so much of what uh, Sheba said resonated with me, but a couple of things in particular really stood out as I as I think about our conversation. Um, first was the idea that it's super important to put the user, the donor, the customer right into the middle of your brand and help them to see how they are participating and how the brand um, helps them. So that that really stood out. And the second thing was the idea that purpose should coexist, uh, whether you're a cause or a or a brand, and that is important regardless. And I think the quote that really stood out to me was this idea that it's really just about what the right model is to unlock purpose for the organization you're leading. In the case of Acola, really interesting because they had been a nonprofit, but they realized with this opportunity and retail and the luxury goods space that they could actually help more women by reorganizing into this public benefit corporation. So the idea, though, that everybody should have a core purpose, and really it's a question about what the right model is to unlock that purpose. I just thought I had never thought about it in that way before. Yeah, I loved what she said about there's no hard line between for-profits and non-profits because I feel like often depending on which of those you fall into, you feel like there is a hard line. Oh, it's totally different in the for-profit space or totally different in the non-profit space. And she made the point that even if there is, there shouldn't be. And like you talked about with the purpose, she really went back to the fact that everyone has a why, a for-profit and a non-profit, they all should have a why. And so for those listening, if you're working in a, um, a brand or a company, or if you're working for a nonprofit organization, think about what that why is. And she used a great example. She talked about Oreo. And when she was talking about Oreo, I was honestly thinking, how is she going to come up with a why for a cookie? But she did. She said it was bringing joy. And as soon as she said that, I was like, wow, that is so smart because you really can um, explain that to the customer. You know, Oreo is something where a family can gather, you know, the kids come home, the mom has the Oreos out with the glass of milk. There's this whole scene about bringing joy. And she really took just such a simple product, but created such a meaningful purpose, um, which really relates to her end message that she said, which was keeping it simple. Uh, it actually makes me think of a quote from a jazz musician who said, making the simple complicated is commonplace making the complicated simple, that's creativity. And I think in, in a lot of our roles, we often are making, um, making the simple complicated. We're complicating things, we're putting all these extra things in the messaging and the processes, when really if you can make it simple, it's way more creative and it connects with the donor or the customer because they're gonna understand a simple message better. It's amazing to me how hard how much hard work it is to actually keep things simple. And I think that's the phrase, you know, keeping things simple make it, makes it sound like it is simple and you're just keeping it simple. But I'm reminded that it's really pushing through complexity and getting to simplicity that is that is so important. So that's a great challenge. I know for me, that's that's a that's a big thing is you constantly get caught up in all the details and the why and the, you know, all the the things around it. But but to really push through that to get to simplicity is a powerful thing that I think we can take away. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and for listening in. I hope you're walking away with something that can impact your leadership. Uh, so be sure to tune in next week for our next discussion and our next topic. 
For more episodes, find us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you're always up to date on recent episodes. If you're able, we'd love if you leave us a review. We enjoy reading your feedback and it helps others learn about the podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Just search Purpose and Profit Podcast. We want to engage with you. So if you have feedback for the show or ideas for guests or topics we might cover, you can go to purposeandprofitpodcast.com and click contact. From there, you can sign up to receive emails every time we drop a new episode. Thanks for listening. We're excited that season one of the Purpose and Profit podcast is made possible by Masterworks, a full-service marketing and fundraising agency dedicated to moving hearts and minds to action. You can find out more at masterworks.com. 